It is the duty of the free man to resist tyranny at every turn. Every man will either watch his freedom stripped away or take action to protect what he loves. Introducing the A3, the newest revolutionary body armor from Armored Republic. The A3 is the new standard for lightweight multi-hit body armor. A3 plates are incredibly light at 4.6 pounds. The patented design captures fragmentation while remaining multi-hit capable. The A3 will stop up to M80 ball, yet comes in at only 0.7 inches thick. The A3 is the thinnest NIJ.06 compliant or certified composite standalone plate that includes the drop test. The A3 is the first of its kind, patent pending, that combines an alloy strike face with polyethylene backing, revolutionizing body armor technology by providing strength and durability while remaining sleek and maneuverable. The A3 is the new standard in lightweight body armor. The fight against tyranny just got stronger. Hey y'all, it's Beer and Psalms Wednesday. Yes, it, it is. is. On the Fight Lab Feast Network, Pastor Toby Chuck I'm the Water Boy. Welcome to Cross Politics, and we have Jason Bluto in the, in the studio. More on him in a minute. Right. But first, yes. man, you just like got me thinking, like right before we I know, I know. Show, he did I know. does this like political, the- <laughs> biblical, theological thing, and I'm like, it's like making my head hurt. It's like squirrel. Yeah. Dying payments <laughs> is a Christian-owned processing payment business. Ball. Every business needs a payment process system, so go to dimepayments.com slash FLF and sign your business up. Working with them actually supports us. They won't cancel yeah. you like Stripe canceled President Trump. They won't cancel you like MailChimp canceled the Babylon yeah. Bee. Check them out. At least have a phone call. Tell them that CrossPolitik sent you. Go to dimepayments.com slash FLF. And, and the, thing I, the thing I like about Dime Payments, their customer service has been what sold me. Oh. Like, they, they don't have some of the technology that Stripe does, no. but they'll get you there through their customer service. Nice. Really, it's oh. been, they've been, That's brilliant. We're not a tax-savvy tax savvy, uh, uh, group here, and Dime Payments got us there. So. Oh, oh wow. tech-savvy. Yeah. yeah. I thought you said tax-savvy. Tax tax, I was like, I'm not tax-savvy yeah. either. either. But. That's why we have a tax account. Also. <laughs> My bad. Hey, before we jump into things on the show today, I just want to remind you all that we have a brand new show dropping. We're, we have a new app dropping yes. uh, June 1st. Yep. And with that, um, we are, Lord willing, beginning to plunge or, I don't know, maybe like walk into um, the shallow end, the shallow end <laughs> of um, what we've been, been hoping to do yeah. for, for years now, which is actually build out a network of Fight, Laugh, Feast Entertainment. Yeah. The first show coming out is called This America. We showed the um, the trailer yes on yesterday's show. We're showing again today because we're excited. We want you to be excited. This is um, kind of like, what'd you call it? Like micros. Dirty jobs. Dirty jobs. Meets Christian economy. Meets yeah. Christian economy. Yeah. So this America. No matter where you grew up, we all grew up in the same place. This America. The land of the free and the home of the brave. The land they handed down from generation to generation. And now people are trying to tell us that our forefathers were a disgrace. You know, the ones who gave their lives tilling frontiers of the cities, plains into skyscrapers, and turning deserts into gardens. We build on the shoulders of our forefathers. We don't trample on their graves. Because the old paths they cleared paved the way for us to greater heights.
small government, bold business, faithful families, as we build innovative companies, launch educational movements, build healthy churches, pubs, and businesses, and work with the same determinations our forefathers had to make our country more of what we know as This America. Join me as I go on a mission to find those 21st century pioneers who still believe in This America. And here's the thing, you know, woke, woke culture, um, uh, 1990s, 2000, even 1980s way of doing business was that you need to separate your faith from business, keep your faith private, and just don't let the market know that you're a Christian. Just run your business the way you should run right. your business. And and that look at what that's got us. Right. It's pushed Christian companies into the corners. Right. Um, it's cr- pushed woke culture all over the place, right. even into Christian companies. Right. And so that's why I think this America is so important is because we're trying to remind basically the uh, America that the Christian economy is what built a large portion of our current economy. So you want to highlight Christian entrepreneurs, Christian businessmen who are um, getting back to work, are building businesses because they believe in a a Christian way of life in this country, the the same way of life that built this country, and they're still doing it today, and we want to support them. So June 1st, the new app drops, and what was formerly known as the Club Portal is becoming the Fight, Laugh, Feast Pub TV, and so join the pub so that you can watch This America on June 1st. I want to say one more thing about the pub, and uh, um, you know, it's really important. Everybody's talking about the Tucker Carlson stuff, and we're going to talk about that too, just not today. But when people are talking about the Tucker Carlson thing, they're missing a bigger picture here. Tucker Carlson has some place to land. Right. Do you understand? The Christian capital is so important because the way that we can, if we never, let's say that voting was taken away, but economy wasn't. We could, we could actually work and make things and sell things and accumulate money and wealth and build things. We can do a lot to change society just by having Christian capital. Right. And Tucker's freedom to be able to speak is only there because yeah. you have Elon Musk who spent 44 or $48 billion. <laughs> do you understand? Yeah. And so that kind of money creates an environment. So what does free speech cost? Something around 44 or $48 billion. <laughs> Well, it costs the blood of a lot of our brothers and fathers. You know what I mean? That's yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. You know, that's absolutely. It's and even more expensive it's than more exp- that. It's way more. And But my, my point is, is that Part of our job, the ones who are not laying down their lives in that manner, is to help keep it up yeah. by being a blessing to other people yeah. to accumulate wealth and building foundations Lay your and, life down today. and institutions. Yeah. And so Build don't something. complain about Netflix. Don't complain about uh, YouTube. Don't complain about um, any other platform, Fox News. If you are looking and say, well, what can I do? $120 for a year. That's what you can do. Join the Fight Laugh Feast Club. Help us build the institution that we want to see. And now the entertainment and content that we want is out there. The way that you tell the government no is by saying, I'm not shutting down my business. Right. That's right. I'm not going to do it. Right. You know, so that's one way that we can be involved in in the culture building society right now. You going to play organ for yourself? Yeah, well, no, I'm, just, I'm trying not to oh. get started. That's that really. Yeah. Offering. It was offering time, yeah. I think. Yeah. Right. No? Find the Christians and spend your money with them. Yeah, do it. Jason Bluto's had two parallel careers, law enforcement and Air Force Security Forces officer. He served on three separate police agencies on both East and West Coast. He's East Coast, West Coast. Wow. He's, don't so you have a fight in yourself. A biggie or Tupac? Who is it? I don't have to choose. <laughs> and he retired as a detective from an agency in Los Angeles County where he was a SWAT operator. Sniper? What? 
and worked undercover as well. Served as an officer involved shooting and robbery and homicide investigator. Are you undercover now? Maybe. 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 In the Air Force, Jason had a 32-year career culminating in Senate confirmation to the rank of colonel. Commanded four squadrons, served in combat, and led at the national level, overseeing physical security and anti-terrorism policy and training for the entire Air National Guard. Jason, thanks for coming on Cross Politic. Hey, thanks for having me. Man. Se- second time. Yeah, back. I know. It's a big day for me. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if you come back a third time. Um, so Jason, Every day's an interview. <laughs> yeah. Every day's an interview. So here's the thing. Um, the world has changed. And over the last few shootings, and maybe the last year or so, I've really been able to notice this. And I think Aaron Wren really helped me with his positive, new, neutral, negative world. I don't think I understood the realities of the negative world really until, I don't know, I think the Nashville shooting kind of woke me up a little bit. That was, and then this Alan. The, re- the reaction you mean to the Nashville shooting? Both. Or both? Both. Okay. Um, and then the um, Allen, Texas shooting. There's been some things that's been kind of like off. We know eh, these are yeah. we're gonna leave these alone. Yeah, they're just, we're just not gonna touch those. And we know the insane people will probably get involved and say, "Oh, those places are not off the table. We're gonna jump on those." But it seems like now these shootings are becoming more common with people who are just upset. And and so here's what I want. I want to try and help our audience. And I can't understand when I look at the Nashville shooting. I, I see, I'm so happy for the police officers that came in there and handled business. Um, but I'm wondering to myself, where were the other people with firearms to engage the shooter upon this, that initial shots of the door? Like, why, why, if we know that we're living in a negative world and we know that we got targets on our back, it doesn't seem like we're thinking and operating in our lives like that's a reality. And so I want to try and spend some time to frame this negative world and what kind of mindset do we need to be having in this new negative world? Because we're still acting like it's the 80s or 90s or early 2000s. Yeah, I think the the, um, Aaron Wren's uh, discussion of the positive, neutral, negative world is very helpful. Um, And if you look at mass shootings, I mean, mass shootings and mass killings are categorized differently. Um, Mass shootings are, you know, any, any more than two people. Right, um, right. You know, mass killing is categorized as four people dead in an incident. Well, we're definitely having more mass shootings every year. We're up to 202 this year, in, and we're hitting that in May. Previously, we hit those numbers in maybe June, uh, July, and it's just steadily increasing. Um, so I think there's some politics involved, and I think sure. there there is also um, – there is some – some psychological issues involve or mental issues, mental health issues with people, right? There's some, like this guy in Allen, they were saying, you know, he was discharged from the army because, you know, he wasn't fit to serve. Um, I mean, anybody who's transgender obviously has mental issues, right? Right. Um, Right. And so Nashville, I think Nashville was a big wake-up call. I think for me, um, seeing someone intentionally target Christians, yeah, you know, Christian school. And I've been saying, I've been working with a lot of churches with security and helping them with security plans and training. And you can say it and, you know, but everybody's like, yeah, you know, to your other point. Um, yeah, it, maybe it's not going to happen here. It'll never happen here. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm saying that because it's the extreme, because I want people to buy into training, but now we're actually seeing it. People t- being targeted for being Christians. Right. So uh, what can you really, what can people do? Um, is, is a good question. I think everybody's got to be prepared to defend their family when they go into a public setting. 
and at least be on yellow. You know, there's this this kind of uh, alarm, you know, c- colors like yeah. a stoplight of where you should be. Green is, you know, when when you're perfectly safe, you're at home, everything's cool, you don't have to have your guard up. Yellow is kind of your guard is up, you're looking for threats. And then red is you're actively engaged in some kind of threat. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's got to kind of be in yellow when they're when they're out in public really? and be uh, monitoring the situation. Where where are the exits? Where can I get if I'm with my wife and kids? Where if something happened right now? Where do we where do we get out? Where's an, you know how do I where would I hide them? You know if, if you're looking to run hide and fight, I think that's no matter where you are, not just school. That's a good reaction. Run to hide act- and fight. Yeah. So, you know, if you can run away from the area, run. If you can hide because you can't run, you want to hide and get behind cover, something that'll stop bullets or barricade yourself into a room. And then last, you know, of course, um, last resort is fight, you know. Um, why not? Why not the first one be fight? Well, I, I think, yeah, I think that's a good pushback. I, I think it depends. Like if I'm in my, by myself or I have my family, right? So mm-hmm. if I have my family with me, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna choose to drag them into the fight. I'm gonna get them in a safe area, and then I'm gonna go fight. If you're a teacher but of if, kids, you'd also like, you know, that, that yeah. you want to run and hide first. Get, get right. all the kids. Get the hide. kids out. Yeah. I mean, you know, right. So it's depending on the situation. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's different for me versus someone who doesn't have the level of training. You know, because you can carry a gun, but if you haven't had any like time compressed decision making, if you've never shot moving targets, if you've never been at a high level of stress in trying to engage. Um, you really got to do some self-assessment and decide whether that's if that's really what you're going to do or not, you know, because because yeah. someone who's who's unskilled could make it worse. So just but, having to, yeah. so I think everybody sees stuff like Allen, Texas, and Nashville, or whatever, and they're, they're like, hey, I'm I'm buying a gun, I'm yeah. getting some ammo, but that's not enough. No, it's not enough. And then even um, I brought a couple slides, but training's not even enough, right? Sometimes, um, you know, just training on the on the range. Okay. So if you look here. So I, this is a, a study that was done um, by Force Science. So Force Science is like a peer-reviewed journal uh, or peer-reviewed uh, group that does um, scientific experimentations in the use of force. And they found that when they took a novice out, someone who had never had any shooting training, put them in the lo- on, a lo- on the line with a gun at 5, 15, and 25 yards. Like at 5 yards, you could see their percentage of hits was 77%. Their rounds hit at 15 yards were about 29%. And then the rounds hit at, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, 15. And then at 25, were about 6%. The expert is someone that has had 40 hours of training. And their hits were 87, 38, and 11. So that tells you that a novice who's never picked up a gun before is only about 10% less accurate than you if you've had 40 hours of training. Ooh. Mm. So, And that's not having like real-time you know, adrenaline rush and pressure. Right. Does that matter in those situations though for between and not? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, so I think, so obviously I, I would say you should have a gun and protect yourself. You should be trained, but you also need to have a level of situational awareness so that you can see threats before they're coming. And that's, and that I think is more important to be able to see threats, see when they're coming and then kind of have mentally rehearsed what you're going to do with your family and even yourself, if something jumps off. So, what do you mean? Um, you can see threats um, 
before they're coming. You make me think of like like Russell Moore, who can't see a threat before it comes. But like, if you what, can what see you, Russell Moore, you, you can see a threat <laughs> before it comes. <laughs> but what do you mean, like in a real life situation? What do you mean seeing a threat before it comes? Give me an example of that. So we all have baselines, right? So if you were to to go to a a, a mall on a Saturday, there's baseline behavior. There's Guy sitting on a on a bench waiting for his wife to go, you know, buy buy something in a store. Yeah. There's there's people with their kids playing. Everything's kind of placid and calm, and and people are doing about what you'd expect them to do. Um, and so when most people, ninety five percent of people, when they're out in public, they they don't even notice what baseline behavior is. They just kind of oblivious. And if I mean, you can prove this out. Just look at your normal church. You just watch people come and go. Normal. Most people are normally oblivious about the of, of what's going on around them. So if you you learn to, to look at what the baseline looks like, you can detect anomalies. Mm. And anomalies to the baseline are what you're looking at. So when I train people to do security, like a lot of uh, churches, when I, I train their guys on how to do security at the door, what I'm saying to them is, yeah, you can act like a greeter, but that's not really what you're doing. You're, you're there to interact with the people you don't know, not the people you know, and see if they're a threat by looking at anomaly, you know, behaviors that are anomalies, right? Like, can, you know, like, is their body language wrong? Do they, you know, they have aggressive posture when, when you're talking to them, right? Do they, we all have bare, uh, um, uh, biometric baselines, right? You have a typical heart rate. You mm. have a, you know, you have, you have a, a way you look if you're not anxious, right? You have typical skin color. Well, when you're, when you're anxious or you have anxiety, your heart rate goes up, right? Your, your body starts to display characteristics that they don't when you're in a baseline or calm behavior. Maybe blood recedes or goes to certain areas in your face. Like if someone's angry, you see them get red in the face, yeah. right? Your eyes, your pupils can dilate when you're excited, right? So, so there's certain things you can look at when you're talking to people so to see if there's a, you know anomaly a behaviors that are that are anomalies, it's and we can do this kind of out in public. Yeah, it sounds like this also could be misapplied in such a way where you're just wound tight constantly mm-hmm. every time you go out in public, and and then that might also cloud your judgment too. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. You, you know? don't want to be a loose cannon out there like everything's a there's a you know a threat right. behind every bush. I think you got to temper it. So there is the, the the reality though. I, I keep thinking about and the more and more I see things. I feel like. And I could be wrong about this. This could be social media and other things that I watch that make me feel like that the world that I'm living in now, that seems like a reality Yeah. where those kind of things. I mean, there these people didn't think when they were at the mall that my daughter that I was just holding my her hand. Well, they probably couldn't even see a baseline there. That's what I was going to ask. So in those situations, we are always at a disadvantage. How do you see something like what happened in Allen ahead of time? Well, I mean, the the people closest to the incident, there's no warning there, right? This guy steps out of his driver's door with a with an M4 and just starts firing. Those people had no no yeah. chance to react. Yeah. However, if you're just inside the door and the anomaly is gunfire, hmm. right? Are you prepared to do something about it, or or is it like, hey, what's that? You know, mm. um, and have you prepared ahead of time? Like, if I hear a gun gunfire at the mall, I know that's that's not normal. And they need to do something. Right. But psychologically, we have baselines too, right? So when when there's we're involved in a high threat situation, we get a lot of anxiety, right? We get that fight or flight, um, you know, feeling in us. Adrenaline dumps into us. Our 
our instinct is to retreat back to the baseline by telling ourselves everything's fine. That uh, It sounded like gunfire. It must have been a, a car backfiring. I'm right. sure it was nothing. I think we have to get used to, in this environment, trusting some, you know, those anomalies that we hear in the environment and actually thinking about what the baselines and anomalies are when we're out in public so we can react appropriately. I mean, I shared with you not too long ago a book called A Gift of Fear by yeah. Gavin DeBecker. That everybody should read that. Um, because that's that's the premise of the book, is that we have this gift of fear that is that our brain can cognitively diagnose a situation and interpret things way better than we can rationally and logically think <laughs> yeah. through it. And so because of um it's we have certain reflexes, right? Like when you're in a car and someone jams their brakes on in front of you, you don't think, oh, they're slowing down. I should hit my brakes. You instinctually hit your brakes, right? That's just a, a, a result of imprinting on your brain. A situation happens, you have a reaction, right? So you got to get used to doing doing that and trusting that in your environment. So some people are able to grow up in a in a in the in a bad environment, right? If you grow up in a violent home or you grow up in a violent neighborhood, by the time you're like 10, you understand what is bad, what is, you know, what what areas and what behaviors yeah. are tend to get you in right. trouble or hurt and you stay away from those behaviors. Those of us that that weren't grown that did not grow up in those environments, they get we to learn how to do that. Yeah. And so we've got to build that imprinting by practicing you know, what's a baseline and what's an anomalous behavior. And so there's two books, that one, Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker, and then Left of Bang is another one that talks mm. about uh, physiological uh, changes in people um, that can help you detect whether they're a threat. It talks about things like geographical anchors, like the church is a geographical anchor, right? An unbeliever, and we've all heard this, people like, oh, the church would set on fire if I stepped in there, right? So people that aren't believers tend to be uncomfortable going in there, but it also makes it a target, mm-hmm. right? Because yep. they know where our geographical anchors are. So I think we just got to get smart. And if you haven't grown up in that environment where you understand um, where the the uh, danger points are, you've got to get smart on that and practice doing it. So I'm curious, um, Jason, from, from your perspective, we have the Nashville shooting, we have this Allen, Texas shooting. Um, um, are there anything? Is, is there, are there some significant differences between those two shootings that you notice and you think um, are are telling about you know sort of where we are in a culture? Uh, well, I mean, the Allen shooting's hard to diagnose. There's so much politics involved, right? He's okay. a Hispanic who's a white, you know, nationalist mm. who's you know shooting minorities. So that's the narrative right now. We don't know what's true. The investigators, even today, I was reading on the. A Fort Worth newspaper that they haven't really released a motive at this point. Mm-hmm. So that's tough. But um, the, I mean, we, it was even the, they didn't even release the manifesto in Nashville. Right. Right. right? right. So everybody, for that. so the politics of these things, they're really tight. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I would say that the difference to me really means is the targeted, the people that are yeah. specifically targeted a Christian church in, Nash- in, a school. in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. They were targeted for their beliefs. Right. And in the shooting in Allen, uh, looks like this guy uh, just wanted to, to shoot people 
and he just picked a, that location yeah. and and just started firing because right now there's no yeah. the investigators aren't releasing that there's even a pattern of the victims yeah even though they all tend to be of a minority right. status right but it was a, it was a shopping mall so so it's so yeah. a li- little more indiscriminate in that sense a little I, less yeah. targeted I yeah. think the one thing I noticed um, about the Allen shooting I remember it looked like the Allen shooter pulled up in a car got out. And this big truck saw the shooting happen and turned and fled. I yeah. don't know if you remember seeing that. And that was maybe the one instance where I was like, maybe that guy could have done something. Yeah, about he could have run that guy down. He could have run him right yeah. over. Yeah. I mean, if everything. that was me in a truck, I probably would have plowed into him and run yeah. him down. Yeah. But not everybody's going to have that instinct. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It turns out. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're image bearers of God, and it's not normal for us to want to kill other image bearers of God, right? right? right. So that's why. The way you train people. Well, that's why you (laughs) shoot. Well, if you go to the range, you're going to shoot. You're going to shoot a silhouette target, Uh right? Um, If you read on killing by uh, Grossman, one of the things he talks about is how do you train somebody to kill because it's not a normal reflex for us. And so you move from bullseye targets, you know, that was pre-World War II. And then going into Korea and Vietnam, you change it to silhouette targets, pop-up targets, quick reactions. So you're not thinking. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, you you get higher kill percentages out of the military. So we're actually training like uh-huh. that now for civilians and law enforcement. Right. But if you don't have that training, that's about the 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 instinct you'd expect from somebody. So that's where, again, I would encourage people to actually do some training and take it seriously. So when the time comes, um, you're ready to act. But But most of us act, you know, if if you had to read a book and there was no test coming, you wouldn't take it as seriously if, mm. if you knew there was a test coming, right? Yeah. So I think we've got to train and prepare ourselves like there's a test coming. There's a, a graph that you showed us earlier about, was it from the FBI or about uh, the, the reasons uh, or the, the yeah, progression the, of a mass shooting? Or, yeah, or the pathway to violence. The pathway to violence. Department of Homeland Security. And, and the, it starts off with, you know, the, the perpetrator has some sort of grievance hostility, you know, bitterness. Uh, then they get into kind of violent thinking patterns. Is yeah. that what I, I, ideation? Yeah, it moves to, I'm going to kill that person, and how would I do it? And then they start researching and planning, yeah. and then preparation. And then pro- um, The one the thing that struck me about this is this is from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Yep. Uh, there's no graph, or not, not included in this graph, is broken down families and drug use. Right, or, you know, plays violent video games. Yeah. People like the people or violent movies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, to me, that would be actually more into the violent ideation side of things, where they're yeah. thinking and absorbing and playing the content. There's still, um, a, I mean, a violent video game is, um, I, I guess, can be problematic, but to me, it's more problematic downstream than before grievances. Um, yeah, I think it's just kind of, you know, my opinion is we're in a culture of death, right? And and yeah. so I think it permeates everything. So. Yeah, so this is just what they see patterns in mass shooters, whether it's um, at a workplace, right? Because workplace violence was a big deal before, you know, before mass shootings in public places and schools were. So, and those still happen. Postal, going postal. Yeah, going postal, right? Term for that. So, yeah. yeah. And so, um, but I think the culture of the death of death is is why it's leaking out and why you're seeing all these young people, you know? Um, So I think... Generation Kill was another book Grossman wrote about, you know, where you're seeing the increase in violent uh, media, and then you see the increase in uh, in people, you know, taking that right. uh, violence and simulated violence out into the real world 
because they once they form grievances. Do you know? Are you are you familiar? I mean, you mentioned um, uh, you know psychological issues, um, particularly one of the things that like no one is really talking about is the fact that so many of these shooters are hopped up on various meds. Um, you know, they, they've they've, yeah. they've been diagnosed with some kind of you know. Um, real or imagined disorder and then, you know, hopped up on Prozac yeah. or something like this, some kind of antidepressant or Ritalin whatever. Or whatever yeah. yeah, Ritalin. Yeah. Um, I, I actually saw just, just yesterday, I, I don't know if this is the show aired yesterday, but I saw a clip that came across my feed of um, uh, Robert Kennedy yes. on Mark Stein. Yep. And on, on Mark Stein, he, he says what n- nobody's talking about, what no one's allowed to talk about is the fact that almost every one of these shooters is on some kind of, um, uh, medication. Yeah. Um, uh, you have any um, insight into that? No, uh, no. But like everybody else, <clears throat> excuse me. Like everybody else, you know, you see the commercials and you hear them talk about all the side effects. Yeah. Right. Right. <clears throat> and one of them is suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So Almost every time. Yeah, Diarrhea, but, suicidal thoughts. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Connected. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's it's right up there. It's right, right. up there yeah. with yeah. Right. Um, the things we're not allowed to talk about. Right. <clears throat> if the Homeland Security were, you know, if you loaded them up with true serum and they actually talked about other effects, I'm sure they would talk about right. broken families, fatherlessness, yeah. you know, someone, someone who hasn't grabbed that young man and straightened him out. Right. Right. So yeah. it, um, there's a study I think that came out actually this last week um, or maybe it's the week before talking about how up to 30% of those who use marijuana uh, are connected to personality disorders. Yep. Yep. I mean, so, so now we're, we're, we're finally allowed to talk about the problems of marijuana after they've legalized it in Denver, after they're all they're getting all their tax money from it in, in Colorado, Washington, and so forth. Yeah, but I, I, I doubt that's actually going to become a very common thing to talk low. about. I think, I, no, I'm, talking, I'm, I'm just saying, like, even just in terms of whether we're allowed to talk about it. Yeah. I don't think yeah. we're allowed to talk about it still. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think there's well, probably. Elon's going to let us talk about it on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. For how long? Yeah. 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 Maybe for five minutes. Can yeah. we talk about time compression decision making? Because yeah. I, I heard you use that term, yeah. but. What, what do you mean by that? So time-compressed decision-making is essentially, the, you know, you have in a gunfight, people think that they're going to have plenty of time in a gunfight to make a decision, um, and you, you just not. You know, um, in my virtual range, or I've since uh, sold a company, um, shout out to NATO, to Studio Defense here in Moscow, if you're able to, you go through these scenarios, and it's pretty eye-opening because you'll put someone in a scenario and you'll be like, okay, so this is the setup or the context. You put them in there and within, you know, five seconds, it's going sideways. And um, before you know it, the guy's got a gun out and he's shooting you and people are like deer in the headlights because they haven't seen the threats coming and then they don't make good decisions, right? Time compressed decision-making is essentially how can you gather information in the moment and the right information to make a decision to get ahead of the curve, mm. right? Because our reaction times aren't as fast as they th- we think they are. So um, on average, so when Force Science again did a, a, a re- some research, they found that the average person um, can draw and shoot a gun in a quarter of a second from their waistband, right? The average, the average, average. show. Yeah, they actually have a video of a woman that, the, that they have, they had who'd never fired a gun. They put a, a revolver in her waistband. She drew it and fired in a quarter of a second, right? And then the tendency of these people when they're is to shoot you in the face, right? We have at close distance, if I'm gonna shoot you, 
I'm probably not going to look at my sights and I'm going to shoot where I'm looking. Yeah. Right. That's why in gunfights, people get shot in the face a lot and the hands a lot because they're looking at hands. So, and that's another thing to know. You're not in a, in a shooting, real shooting situation, you'll never look at your sights. It just doesn't happen. But how many of us train to shoot mm. without our sights, right? To just yeah. orient ourselves that yeah. way. So, and if, so if an assailant is a, at a quarter of a second, how long does it take us? Well, here in that same study, they found it takes about a third of a second for us to even realize something's going on. Hmm. And our reaction time is different based on whether it's visual or audible, right? Audible, we're a little quicker, right? So if, if you're at a range and someone, eh, the timer goes off and you draw and shoot, you're going to be faster than if it's a visual cue. Uh, well, when you're in a high threat situation with someone, it's always a visual cue that you're going to key off of. We tend to be really slow at those. So think about that. The assailant's at a quarter of a second. You're at a third of a second before you even start a body movement towards your gun. And then when you pull the gun out, you're at about a second and a half or a second and a quarter if you're fast like Gabe, right? Yeah. No. And and so you're you're about a second too late, yeah. which means that you have to make decisions way, way more further ahead of time uh -huh. so that you're, you can beat the assailant to the gunfight. And that means noticing things like, do they have a bulge? Do they are, how are they behaving? Are they escalating behavior, de-escalating behavior? Where are their hands? You know, we have a focal view of about one to two degrees. And so, and that's like your thumb. That's about all that you can focus what on. What do you mean focal view of one or two degrees? So we have a focal, we are, the way we, our eyes see is we can focus on about one to three degrees. Mm -hmm. The rest is peripheral mm. vision from, okay. from about two to 10 degrees. And then after that, it's ambient light gathering. So this is why when they tell you to shoot, right, you can only focus on one thing. It's usually your front sight, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's about one to two degrees of focus. Okay. So now you're in a situation where you're dealing with someone who's a threat and you have one to two degree visual focus. What you focus on becomes very important. Mm. And then what you focus on is what you tend to remember after a shooting. So if you're not focused on the right things, and all of a sudden someone has a gun in their hand and you shoot them, right? If you weren't focused on them going into their pocket or their waistband to pull a pull a gun out because you weren't looking there and focused there, you're gonna you're not even gonna know where that gun came from all of a sudden. All of a sudden there's a gun there because you focused on it. And so most people, when they're in an intera interaction with someone, they're looking at their face when they're talking because we're trying to read somebody. When really the most important place to look is probably maybe their face, but their hands, right? Back to the face, hands. So where you focus in that moment becomes really important because you can predict what they're going to do. So if I'm looking at his face and he's making a weapon acquisition position with his arm, I'm going to miss it. And then I'm going to be way behind him because action is faster than reaction. Mm. Where do you start? So if, if, if you want to call suburb software, this world is like odd to you, and you just got dropped in the middle of Iraq. Where do you, you know, I, I mean, where do you start? Well, I would start with you know those two books, um, Gift of Fear. There's actually if you giftoffear.com, I believe it is. There's a master class with videos. I would have every everyone in your family watch that with you, because it it would help prepare prepare them and harden them against threats, right? And to listen to that gift of fear. Um, left to bang is another good place to get your, your situational awareness kind of keyed in. And then of course, you've got to have some firearms training. 
And then you got to find someone in your area. You know, in Moscow, we have we have Nate, and I'm still teaching for Nate there on on these with some of these courses. But um, anywhere you are, there's people that have these trainings, military law enforcement guys that have either um, airsoft guns or simula- simunition guns, and then they'll put on scenarios for you and put you into shoot no shoot situations. I would so say go find one of those because time compressed decision making is a skill. It's not something you just you just happen to get. And, and so that's why something they, they consistently put law enforcement through because once you shoot somebody, you can't take that back. So you've got to make sure that if you're going to use force, you're making a good decision, right? And then there's the legal aspect of it where and it, no, it doesn't matter where you live in this country. If you think opportunity, capability, and intent to do me serious bodily injury or death, then and you know you're you're uh, able to use lethal force at that point, no matter where you are in this country. Those three puzzle pieces, if you're actively thinking about that in the moment, helps you get ahead of the curve, right? So is this guy, does he have the opportunity to uh, seriously injure me or, or kill me? Are we in the same proximity, right? Is there a prox- is there a, Does he have the a opportunity um, to stab me with a knife. Of course, he's across the street. He doesn't. But if he has a gun, he has the opportunity to shoot me, right? right. right. Capability. What's the weapon he has? Mm. The weapon doesn't even have to be a, a weapon. The weapon can be a person. Is he an MMA fighter? Um, Interesting. Is there three dudes, right? <laughs> Interesting. Right? right? And then intent. Most intent comes from body language. It comes from someone pointing a gun at you. It comes from what people say. And so these are, when we talk about time-compressed decision-making, these are all things that we have to collect as data and sift through in three to five seconds or however long this interaction takes to say opportunity capability intent is present and I need to protect myself or somebody else right now and then be able to recall that to legally protect yourself, right? So those are things you have to practice. Wow. And and so you have to take your training seriously. That's that's really helpful. Jason, yeah. really appreciate you that. You must be able to stay for the club portal, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Or you got hang hang tight here. Right. Don't be limited by restrictive networks. There's another way, a biblical way. Samaritan Ministries. They're back. So you have a medical need. You don't have to check and see what hospital is in your network or be concerned about the doctor being in network too. No, you go to the hospital you choose and don't give a second thought as to what's in network and what's not. Because with Samaritan Ministries, you're in control of your health care. Afterwards, fellow members pray for you. They send money directly to you to help pay your medical bills. And when they have a medical need, you'll do the same for them. That's what biblical health care sharing looks like. Check it out today at SamaritanMinistries.org slash CrossPolitik. That's SamaritanMinistries.org slash CrossPolitik. Mm, you got the, the beer open? Yeah, yeah. Get, yeah, get, I, I can get my beer. Yeah, yeah. there we go. Hey, Beer and Psalms Wednesday. Today's Psalm of the Day is Psalm 42. This is our uh, friend's uh, brother down. Um, Such a great uh, singing. Uh, this is actually a Genevan version of Psalm yeah. 42 with a little, little modern yeah. instrumentation. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remembered these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept 
the holy day. Why art thou cast down on my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and from the Hermonites, from the hill of Miser. Deep calleth unto deep the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down on my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. This is a psalm by the sons of Korah, actually. One of those psalms is not by David or Solomon or Asaph. And it's, it's all about when you've been waiting on God to answer your prayer for a long time. And when you haven't been able to go to worship or when you're just simply waiting for God to act and your enemies are taunting you, saying, where is your God? I thought, I thought your God took care of you. And those voices maybe have even gotten into your head and now you begin to be tempted to ask the same thing. Where is my God? And the psalmist says that when he sees this beginning to happen, he starts to talk to himself. He begins questioning his own soul. And he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted in me? And then he preaches to himself. He exhorts his own soul. He says, soul, hope in God. For you will still praise God when he smiles on you. Mm. The psalm recognizes that God's hard providences even come over us sometimes. He says all of God's waves, his billows have gone over him. Even his enemies have attacked him like a sword in his bones. And yet the psalm sings out defiantly, the Lord will send his loving kindness and his song will be with him in the night. He prays to God, his rock, why have you forgotten me? Which is exactly how you should cry out to God. You cry out to God, your rock. And the psalmist once more questions his soul. Why are you cast down? And then he commands his soul, hope in God. You will praise him again. He will make you smile again because he is your God. Athanasius once wrote a letter to one of his disciples urging him to study and memorize all the Psalms. It's a great letter. It's often found in a, in a particular copy of On the Incarnation as an appendix on the Psalms. <laughs> he would know. <laughs> and, and Athanasius said, he told his disciple, you need to know the Psalms. And he says, the reason you need to know this, all the Psalms, is because the Psalms are the inspired prayers that you're going to need. Mm. And he starts going through all like he just starts rattling off the psalms, and you can just tell from from the, from the letter yeah, that he's, he's, he's got them at his fingertips. He says, yeah. "When you're down, you need this psalm, and when you're when you're excited, wow. you need this psalm, and when you're getting chased by your enemies, you need this psalm, and when everybody's against you, you need this psalm." Many many of every every psalm and prayer for every occasion. Many worship songs fail at this very point. They're all like puddles in a parking lot, ten feet wide and one inch deep. But the Psalms express the depths of our experience. And this is also the secret to stable Christian lives. Christians are not people who never have hard times or never have difficulties. No, Christians are people who are never alone. We walk unafraid because we always walk with our king. He goes before us 
And when it is hard, we cry out to him, and he hears us, and he comforts us. He's our shepherd, and he carries us. So how do we stay joyful, stable, calm when the creepy clowns are plotting to take our children? Mm. We sing the Psalms, and we tell our souls, hope in God. Come on now. How do we stay joyful while millions of babies are still being slaughtered by abortion? We sing Psalms, and we tell our souls, hope in God, your rock. How do you go home and love your wife and your children after another hard day at work? Well, you cry out to God, and you tell him that you need him, and then you ask your soul, why are you so down? And then you tell yourself, hope in God. You will be praising God again very soon because he is God, your rock. Mm. Cheers. Cheers, all. Cheers, cheers to the can't cheers without a beer. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Neither one of you guys. All right, we're going to go back into the portal. The pub. The pub portal. Yeah, well, it's not the, that yet. The pub so, TV. So if you're single, there. get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. Looking for a job isn't easy. It used to be that you could apply at a big name tech company and build a great career for yourself. But times have changed. Many of these companies have gone full woke. And if you aren't the right gender, ethnicity, you don't use pronouns, or if you're not an activist for the preferred cause, then good luck. Why would you risk your career on that? At Red Balloon, we're connecting good employees with top quality companies that value you for your skills and your work ethic, not your social activism score. Employers who post jobs on Red Balloon are focused on creating an enjoyable and productive work culture, free from divisive woke mandates. So if you want to find a serious career path without the nonsense, come to Red Balloon and post your resume today. Because you shouldn't have to choose between your job and your values. That's redballoon.work, where you can find your future. Home, it's where you build your legacy, where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. We are Chris Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy.